Now, the reason I wanted to ask who was not here Sunday morning, because I want to tie in where we left off on Sunday morning tonight. Since this coming Sunday is a special day, we're going to have some great word, a lot of music, extra music this Sunday. Like I said, fellowship afterwards. But this Sunday, we're going to take a break from what I'm talking about starting last Sunday. And so I thought we'd take advantage of tonight. Is that all right with you guys? Please say it's okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the end times and what kind of people we should be seeing then that all these things are going to be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be, the Bible says. What should we be doing and what kind of people should we be? Right? Now it says in First Chronicles that the children of Ishakar had understanding of the times they were living in so that Israel would know what they ought to do in those times. God is giving us understanding of the times we're living in. It's actually two-minute warning time. You know what I mean? Everything up till now, from the book of Acts till now, has been critical, cru- crucial. But these next two mo- minutes are going to be critical. It's time to hustle. The game's about over. The end of all things is at hand. And we've got a job to do. And we've got to make sure our priorities are right. And we're not just going with the flow of the world, doing what, you know, three quarters of the church is doing. We've got to make sure we're hearing from God as a church individually because these are the end times. And the Bible says they had understanding of the times that Israel might know what they ought to do. Right? We need to know what we ought to do in these last two minutes. Things are speeding up. It's critical. We've got to hustle. And also, Peter said, seeing then that all these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Now, when he's talking about dissolved, he's not talking about everything going into nothingness. He's talking about everything that sin brought on the scene is going to be burned up, and this earth is going to be perfect again. I even think the axis is going to be corrected, and we're not going to have terrible weather anymore. It's going to be perfect all year long. Like it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve fell. So we're talking about two-minute warning. Isn't that all right? We got some things we need to know about that. I want you to notice in Luke 18, and then we're going to look also. Oh, look at that two-minute warning up there. See that? I told you. I told you. Luke 18, and uh, I'm going to read verse 8. And Jesus is actually finishing up a powerful parable. And he gets down to verse 8. And he says, I tell you that he will avenge them, talking about the Heavenly Father, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? When the Lord comes back, what's he looking for? Man, that must make faith really important because he could have said 101 things here. When the Son of Man comes, will he find prayer on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find commitment on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find discipline on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, you can name a bunch of good things. But what's the Lord looking for? What he's always been looking for. You find it in the life and ministry of Jesus for the three and a half years he ministered. When he found faith, he got excited. How many know it probably takes something pretty powerful to get the creator of the universe excited? Something that a human being can do. He marveled at the centurion's great faith. Called all his disciples, said, you guys need to get over here. I've been looking for faith like this in all of Israel, and I haven't found any faith like it's in this centurion, not even in all of Israel. And then the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who didn't back down when the roadblocks rose up and and the Lord called her a dog and said, It's not me to take the children's bread and cast it dogs. And she just stuck with it and said, Truth, Lord, truth. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. It impressed the Lord. Two things impressed the Lord. One of them was faith. And one of them was unbelief. That impressed him in a wrong way. It said he marveled because of their unbelief. Faith is a big deal to the Lord. 
And I'm going to say something to you tonight that may, you know, may jar you a tad bit, but there are two things under attack today. Two things. There's two things in the church that are under attack today. One of them is faith, and one of them is repentance. There's an attack against faith, and there's an attack against repentance. And the sad thing about it, it's coming from pulpits. It's coming from church people. And I'm going to show you today that faith in the last days is very, very important. The pressure to depart from the faith is greater than it's ever been. The pressure to be deceived, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, greater and higher than it's ever been. The Spirit of God warned us of this 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, He used the language, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some are going to depart from the faith. In other words, you can't depart from something you're not a part of. These are believers who used to believe, who used to reverence the things of God, who used to love the whole Bible. In the last days, the Bible says a lot of these people are going to depart from the faith. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but it's rare today where people actually believe the whole Bible. Right. We've got a lot of people who believe parts of it. But then we got some people saying certain books aren't for us today anymore because things in those books don't jive with their new revelation. Well, if things in the Bible don't jive with your new revelation... You need to reconsider your new revelation and bring it back in line with the truth because you can, anybody can pull a scripture out, start a new doctrine, start a church based on that scripture, write books on that, and be totally off because the ten verses before and the ten verses after refute the thing they're trying to say that one verse says. Say, Pastor, do you believe in Bible commentaries? Absolutely. I do. I believe in Bible commentaries. I believe the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible. Yes. It's actually 66 books. I believe the best commentary for Matthew is Isaiah. I believe the best commentary for Jeremiah is 1 Peter. You, it's got to harmonize, you guys. It's got to harmonize. And, you know, it's so interesting. The devil is not going to use dark stuff to try to deceive people. He's going to use scripture to try to deceive people. Did you all know that? Actually, if you read in, um, I think it's at the end of 2 Peter, where Peter's talking about Paul the Apostle, and he said, he said, you know, our beloved brother Paul is explaining these things concerning salvation in a very powerful way. And he said, Peter said, some people are hearing what Paul's preaching, and they're wrestling with these scriptures to their own destruction. Did you ever read that? Peter said some people wrestle with the scriptures to their own destruction because they're not reading it properly. Their, their attitude's not right. They're, they're, they're disjointed from where they're supposed to be in the body. They're all alone. They're like a, a lone ranger sheep whom the wolves really like. And so we have to talk about this. I, I'm seeing it all around. So this scripture says Jesus is looking for faith, right? When the Son of Man comes, what's he looking for? Will he find faith on the earth? Why would you say that? So turn to Jude chapter 1. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Jude 1. I, I'm, I'm going to share something with you today that I think is a little interesting. I'm going to share it right now. I should say, here, here's something that's interesting to me. I'm seeing some really weird stuff happening in the world, in our country especially. Especially over politics and you know who should be an authority, who should not be. I'm seeing some really interesting things going on. And I'm seeing something in the world that's totally unbiblical. There's like this spirit in the world that says, everybody's okay. Anything goes. Nobody should have to work. Everything should be split evenly. I mean, that's an attitude of the world today. There are, there are some people pushing for this agenda 
to take hold of this country. Are you listening? I mean, you shouldn't have to work for anything. Is that biblical? The Bible says, he that doesn't work isn't supposed to eat. The Bible did not say that everybody gets rewarded equally. No. I don't even know. And the Bible doesn't say, if you're rich, you've got to give more to others so everything's more even and balanced out. That, my friend, is totally unfair. And God is not unjust. He talks about promoting people and not promoting people. He talks about some getting something and others getting nothing. He talks about some getting more and others being taken away from what they do have. Right. Do you realize this? We're, we're not going to go down that road as a country, not as long as we're here. Because right. that don't work. But I've seen it creep into the church. Same spirit, different clothing, if you will. You don't have to do anything. Everybody, everybody's okay. Friend, there are some people that are flat out not okay, and they need a revelation that they're not okay, or they won't change. Everybody is not okay. Everything is not okay. Everybody shouldn't be getting the same rewards. Right? You know, we taught not too long ago, what was it, a few weeks ago on perdition prevention. And we need to get this revelation. We're all saved by grace. But we're not all rewarded by grace. We're rewarded by works done in the body. Did you know that? It would be totally unfair. And God is not unjust. It would be totally unfair to reward one person who disciplined themselves, appropriated the grace of God in the area of right living, said no to the flesh, resisted the devil, worked for God all their life, and then somebody who didn't just flaked out all their life, they both get saved, both go to heaven, both get the same rewards, would be totally unfair. And God is not unfair. Yeah, they're both saved. Yes, they both go to heaven, but rewards will not be the same for the one or the other. Mm -mm. Jesus talked about it. Paul, uh, John got revelation of it. I mean, these things, people have to realize God is a fair, good, just God. Saved by grace, but friend, rewarded by works. Yep. See, we're not talking about works to get saved. We're talking about works of love for the king that a lot of times we don't even think is work because we love him so much. I was teaching the youth on Wednesday night. We are talking about loving God and loving God more. And how Jesus said in John 14, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He that loves me, Jesus said, keeps my word. And one person could look at that and go, oh, yeah, you know, that's works and we're redeemed from works. So that doesn't apply to us. And another person could look at that and go, I love the Lord. This isn't even work to me. I enjoy doing these things for Him. I enjoy keeping His commandments. If we see doing works, good works for the Lord as law and as hard work and bondage, it means you don't love Him. Okay, let me give you... Let me give, Genesis 29. Rachel says... I mean, Jacob says, I want to marry Rachel. Goes to Laban, her daddy, and says, I want, to, I want your daughter's hand in marriage. And Laban says, you work for me seven years, and Rachel's your wife. Jacob says, all right. After seven years of hard work, hard labor, the Bible says those seven years of work to Jacob seemed but a few days because of his love for Rachel. See, love turns work into fun. Love, love turns work, years of work into just felt like a few days because he, he knew he was getting Rachel. It's the same thing with the Lord. If working for the Lord, if, if serving the Lord and working for the Lord and doing things for the Lord is a drag or a law, you need to check up on your love for Him. Because if you really love Him, you don't mind. Give me seven years. That's fine. Anyway, moving right along. So now go to Jude. 
the book of Jude. And here we find a contrast between two words that has surfaced again 2,000 years later that we need to talk about. Verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Why serve the Lord if we're all saved and we're going to heaven anyway? Because uh, <clears throat> you love Him? Somebody says, well, I don't have to serve the Lord. No, you don't. But don't condemn me because I want to. Amen? You know, you know what we're saying? I mean... You don't have to serve the Lord to go to heaven. You don't, No, but don't condemn me because I want to serve him on my way to heaven. And don't make me think like I'm in the law or works because I want to. I like what Joan of Arc said. She said, she said, I believe I'd die if I couldn't serve. In other words, that was her heartbeat. That's what she was living for. If she couldn't serve, why be here? She got her joy and her, her peace out of serving and helping others. Jesus said, you know what Jesus said? When it came to working for the Father, when it came to doing the will of the Father, and he worked hard. How many know to, to, to blood? He worked hard. And he said, you know, because the disciples came and said, oh, Lord, you must be hungry. I went in town. We got some food. He goes, he goes you guys, listen. My meat, my satisfaction, is to do the will of him that sent me. See, if doing the will of the Lord who sent you is hard and bondage. You're not doing it right. Because Jesus said it was meat to him. It was, it was energy to him. It was, it was sustaining life to him to do what the Father told him to do. <laughs> Amen. That's very important. So read on here. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to him that is sanctified, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So he's talking to all believers here. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So, Actually, if you think about it, 2,000 years ago, faith was under attack. He had to write them once and he had to write them again. As I told you, the, the word earnestly contend actually means agonize. This is a big deal or he wouldn't say those words. So 2,000 years ago, Paul and others in the church were dealing with this very thing that a lot of it we're having to deal with today. It's really not new if it happened 2,000 years ago. And it's so important because it's, it's, some, some of the things that are happening today are putting believers in a coasting mode. Just kind of coasting and, you know, waiting for God to do something really big and waiting for my revelation of this to cause, me, to cause something to happen without me putting forth any effort at all. And it's actually, there, there's some... Interesting things happening right now in the church as a whole that are putting believers in a kickback mode. When Jude said, I need to tell you this again, I need to exhort you that you need to earnestly or agonize for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Once, this is important. So, what's he saying? He said, Watch out, watch out. Something is going to try to take you away from faith. And the reason is, is because faith is our part. The devil knows he can't stop God from loving. The devil knows he can't stop God from being good and kind and gracious and merciful. It'd be a waste of time for him to try to attack God. He's got to attack our part. Do you realize it? He's got to attack our part. And our part is what? Our part is faith. Are you listening? Now you'll see in a couple more verses. Now we realize God's part is mercy. God's part is love. God's part is grace. And that don't need no work. Right. 
I mean, think he's gracious as perfect can be. Right. People need, here's where the work, the Bible says we need to work on receiving from the Lord. You never have to, oh God, be a better giver. Please, God, be a better giver. Oh Lord, be a better giver. This is ridiculous to even think you have to pray that. What they pray in the Bible? They prayed, blind Bartimaeus had it down. He, he said, Jesus said, what do you want, blind Bartimaeus? And he prayed a great prayer. And blind Bartimaeus said, Lord, this is what I pray. I pray that I, I don't have to ask you to do anything. You're perfect. You're great. He, Bartimaeus said, Lord, here's what I pray. I pray that I might receive my sight. Great prayer. What did the Lord do? He helped Bartimaeus receive his sight. And he received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. You ever read in Acts chapter 8, I think it was, where Philip was in Samaria preaching Christ unto them, had a big revival, and it said they called for the apostles from Jerusalem, Peter and, and James and John, I believe it was. They came down from Jerusalem and they said, Have you received the Holy? Actually, no, they didn't even ask them that. They just said they were born again. And it said that the apostles prayed for the Samaritans, the new believers, and this is what they prayed. That they might... Not that God might do anything. You have to pray that God, God's good. He knows how to do it. People need help. They prayed that they, the Samaritans, might receive the Holy Ghost. Great prayer. <laughs> Great prayer. You get the receiver tweaked where it's supposed to be, or he or she's supposed to be, then you got a perfect giver, a better receiver, and now you got miracles and healings and whatever you need. Right? Faith is how we receive from the Lord. And there's two things God cannot do for us. Are you listening, church? There's two things that you, you just might as well mark it down right now. God's not going to do these two things for you. He will not do these two things for you. Are you ready? He cannot and will not receive for you. Number two, God cannot and He will not resist the devil for you. I'm going to say it again. There's two things that you're going to have to do and learn how to do if you want the fullness of God's help in your life. Number one, He cannot receive for you. And God cannot resist for you. Those are two things the Lord tells us to do. Mark eleven twenty four says, if you want results in prayer, you got to do this. Believe you do something. Believe you receive those things you asked for, and you shall have them. Believe you receive. You believe you receive. God can't do that for you. You know, let, me, let me tell you a really great prayer. We should actually pray it right now. A great prayer is, Lord, help me to be a better receiver. Come on, guys. If you're driving down the road and you're listening to a radio station and it's getting kind of in and out, staticky, you do not call the radio station and say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you blessing me with a, a good radio station here? What's the first thing you do? You adjust the receiver. Just in case the last bump or two got your little dial mixed up or all right, you adjust. You don't. You don't even think about calling the radio station. And say, why aren't you broadcasting? <laughs> you know, listen, church. Listen, this is a spiritual uh, parallel here. You know, there's interference. Something's interfering between the radio station and the receiver. There's interference. How many know there's interference at times between God and the receiver? There's interference. Sometimes it's our own wrong thinking. Sometimes it's our own lack of teaching. But sometimes it's the devil too. But the, see, but you can tune in and receive and you can resist interference. Here's something you might have to say once in a while. I rebuke interference between me and the Lord. Amen. Get out of the way in Jesus' name. Clear up. Amen. Come on, he is called, the devil is called the prince of the power of the air. Right. Airwaves. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Sometimes you have to rebuke interference. 
Sometimes you have to rebuke oppression. Trying to get between you and the peace of God or what the Lord... You have to rebuke it. And if you don't, listen closely, if you don't rebuke that interference of the devil or demons, if you don't rebuke it, listen closely, if you don't do anything about the interference, God can't. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, get God, to get, get God to get the devil off your case. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, God's going to take care of the devil for you from now on. He already destroyed him. Right. doesn't mean he's not around. It just means if we use the name of Jesus, we can live free from his influence. Come on, guys. Name one scripture where it says God's going to do something about the devil for you since he's already done it all. Just you can't find it. But I will tell you this. You'll find this. You resist the devil, believer, and he will flee from you. Right. Believers in my name, they shall cast out devils. That's them doing something. Right? 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 The Bible says, uh, whom resist steadfast in the faith. The Bible says believers don't give any place to the devil. That's us doing something. Right? Are you listening? And if we don't do anything about that interference, he wants to, but he can't. And I'll tell you why. Because he already said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's earth's move. Amen. He's given us everything we need. It's, it's so interesting. I know, I don't know if I want to take a ton of time and try to wrap this up real quick, this story, but Kenneth Hagin was with a pastor after preaching one night in the Parsonage, and they knelt down on the floor after they ate a few sandwiches in the kitchen. They put the children to bed. The other man did because Brother Hagen was a guest. And they got down on their knees and just started praying. And he said he prayed, and all of a sudden he entered into glory. He saw Jesus standing up about where the roof was of the kitchen. He kind of like fell into a trance. And the Lord said, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you about the devil. And I'm going to teach you about demons and how they get a hold of people, even Christians, if they allow him access. So he talked to him for like a couple hours about the devil, demon oppression, and how demons get a hold of people, even Christians, if those Christians allow them. And he said, it was so interesting because he was seeing the Lord. He was on his knees in the spirit. Like John said, I was in the spirit, you know, on the Lord's day. He was listening to Jesus. And as the Lord was talking to him about these powerful things, about discerning of spirits, operating in your ministry when you're in the spirit, and how are you going to know if it's a demon or, or just an organic disease, and how you can deal with it and minister to him and see results. And, get, and he's like, he's got to go, wow, the head of the church is talking to me here. And he says, right in the middle of the conversation, he said a demon spirit got between him and Jesus and kind of threw out some kind of smoke screen. And he said that the demon spirit actually looked like a little monkey-like creature. It was not a monkey. But it looked like a monkey-like creature of some kind. And this demon was going, yakety yak 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 yakety yak 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 between Jesus and Brother Hagin. And he said, through all the loudness and the commotion, I couldn't hear a little. It was real interesting because the Lord just kept talking like he didn't even notice the demon. Just kept talking to Brother Hagin. And Brother Hagin on this stand is going, I can't hear the Lord. Doesn't Jesus know I can't hear him? This is serious stuff. The Lord's appearing to me in a vision. i got to hear what he's saying. He said, finally, I got fed up. I mean, that's good to get fed up. You probably do something about the interference when you get fed up. He said, I am missing what the head of the church is telling me. So he just, said, he just rose up and said to the demon, he said, shut up and, and get up from between us in Jesus' name. And he said, the demon stopped, fell to the ground like a hurt puppy. And just looked kind of shaken at Brother Hagen. And it was almost like he said, almost like he said he didn't want to leave. But Brother Hagen said, You get out of here and you leave this, leave these premises. And so the evil spirit leaves. He hears the voice of Jesus again. And he's like thinking, I missed. I missed some of what the Lord was trying to tell me. And so he was about ready to ask the Lord about it. And the Lord said, before he could ask, says, You're going to ask me something, aren't you, son? Jesus said, you're going to ask me why I didn't do anything about that demon. He says, exactly right, Lord. I was going to ask you, why didn't you do anything about this demon that was bringing interference between what you were saying and me? He said, I know you were going to ask me that. And this is what the Lord said. It said, totally upended Brother Hagin's theology, changed everything. in it. Jesus said to Brother Hagin that day, he said, 
Son, if you hadn't done something about that demon and that demonic interference, I couldn't have. Well, Brother Hagen said, Lord, I know I didn't hear you right. <laughs> you said if I hadn't done something about that demon, you wouldn't have. And the Lord said, that's not what I said. I said, son, if you hadn't done something about that demon spirit between you and me, bringing all this interference, he said, if you hadn't done something about that, you know, say, in the name of Jesus, shut up and get out. He said, if you hadn't done something about that demon, I couldn't have. Brother Hagin said, he put his fingers in his ear and said, Lord, I, I said, I know I'm not hearing you right. You said, if I hadn't done something about that demon, you wouldn't have. He said, no. And he almost got a little angry. He said, son, I told you, if you hadn't done something about that demon spirit, I couldn't have. And then Brother Hagin said, Lord, I don't care if I am seeing you in a vision right now. I need at least three scriptures out of the New Testament or I'm not going to believe it. And he said, the Lord smiled and said, I'll give you four to prove that if my people don't do something about this demonic interference, I can't do anything. And he brought him to like Mark 16 about casting out devils. He brought him to Ephesians 4.27, brought him to James 4.7, 1 Peter 5, Matthew 28. He actually gave him five. And then uh, he, he also realized another scripture where Jesus already said, whatever you bind on earth or stop on earth will be stopped in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's, most, most of the church believes it, if it, it, it starts in heaven. If God wants it, it'll just be. If God wants to stop it, then it'll stop on the earth. Jesus said, no. It's whatever you stop on earth will be stopped in heaven. And whatever you loose or allow on earth will be allowed in heaven. Most of the church world doesn't even believe that scripture. That's not, that doesn't jive with God is in control. Whatever you bind on earth, people, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. God is not in control of everything on this planet. And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why a lot of people are not wanting to be Christians today because they believe a bunch of junk about God's in control of everything. The devil is called the God of this world. Jesus said the prince of this world comes. He has nothing in me. You know why the prince of this world, the devil, had nothing in Jesus? Because Jesus was fully surrendered to the Father God. And the devil is... Uh, now let me say this. God is in control of believers who are submitted and surrendered to Him. But the whole world lies in wickedness. Yeah. Satan's the God of this world. It's obvious everything that's going on on the earth is not the will of God. The abuse? Are you kidding me? The crazy, senseless things, murders and things that are happening? You cannot. Who's, who's going to want to run to the church believing that God's in control of all that junk? If God was in control of anything, why even pray? Right. Just case Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Why even pray if God's in control of everything? Why resist the devil if God's in control of everything? If God's in control, just go with the flow. No. Friend, you go with the flow, you're in trouble. It's so easy to say God is in control as an excuse not to dig in the Word and find out some more why things happened that shouldn't have happened and why some things that didn't happen that should have happened. It takes... <laughs> All right, so moving right along. Jude 1 through 5. Let's read a few more verses. Read this. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why say that if there wasn't an attack on faith? And I'll show you more scriptures that prove it out. Paul said that there are certain men. Now, when you see the word crept, what do you think of? Very subtle, right? I mean, almost hardly noticed. I mean, now if this happened back then, could it happen today? Could people creep in today with distorted teachings? Now remember, the devil is not going to come in as the devil. Actually, he's very beautiful and crafty 
and he disguises himself as an angel of light. You know what that means? It means he's trying to convince people that he's of God or that he is God. He's always been trying to be God. Yeah. Right? Isn't that what Ezekiel and Isaiah said? Huh? I will be like the Most High. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be higher than God. He's still trying that. He's still trying to tell people that he's God today. And in all his brightness, many are falling for it. Do you realize that the devil is like thousands of years old? Right. He knows a ton of stuff. He knows how human beings react to certain things. He's been around, and you and I are zero match with him when we're talking about brain power and willpower. The only way you are no, the devil will wrap you up and tie you up in some kind of a logical discussion. You know, if you're going to go the logic route, you're a goner. If you're going to go the intellect route, you're a goner. This guy's been around for thousands of years. No, the only way you're going to not be deceived and the only way you're going to overcome the devil is if you keep him in the Bible realm, in the spirit realm, in the faith realm. Stay filled with the spirit. Stay hooked up to your church. The devil loves getting people away from their church. He'll even settle for other churches, any church but the church that's best for them. He loves it. Because he knows sheep that get out from under the umbrella protection of a pastoral anointing and a prayer covering, they're open game. So look at this. These men crept in unaware, very sneaky, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. I don't even think these people knew that they were doing this. I think they were deceived themselves. When he's talking about men crept in unaware, I don't believe them. these men got a plan and say, let's creep in unaware. I think they believe they're doing the will of God. I don't even know if the Antichrist knows he's the Antichrist. I think he really thinks he's right. I think he really thinks he's right. Because he's stupid enough to say, I'm the Antichrist, hoo-hoo, cool. It's ridiculous. The false prophet doesn't know he's the false prophet. He thinks he's the true prophet. The devil behind the scenes using them like puppets. Got him so deceived into thinking they're 100% right and they are so far off they don't even realize it. I don't think the people the devil uses knows exactly. They they don't know I'm being used of the devil. This is cool. They think they're being used of God. This is some spiritual insight here. These men crept in unaware who before of old were ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into everybody's okay. It's, 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 it's okay. Nobody has to work. Everything's cool. You're, you're okay. I'm okay. Come on. You, everybody's okay. Everybody is not okay. If they're on a road to hell, if they're not serving the Lord, if they're not filled with the Spirit, they're on dangerous ground, man. That's not Okay. But this teaching here that came back 2,000 years ago, this grace was turned into, hey, lasciviousness means looseness. No restraint. Everything's okay. Don't worry about it. It'll all be fixed in the end. Oh, don't worry about those future sins. Jesus already paid the price for those. So I can sin? Well, if you want, I guess, because it's already taken care of. What is that? That's perversion of a really, really, really good Bible truth. Right. What, I mean, come on, think about this. If you're the devil, what would you try to use to get people astray? Something that the Bible says is very, very beautiful and powerful and that people love. Yeah. <laughs> right? He said they were turning the grace of God into looseness, lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I looked at the word denying, and it simply means to contradict. 
to contradict. Now, Keith Moore, even recently, in his week of increase a couple weeks ago, he brought this out again. He was talking about this, this whole thing that we're, we're looking right here in this verse. He says, he says I, I like to call, he says, I call this extreme grace teaching grace-only teachings, which he said is, we all know, very dangerous. Grace only. Grace only. Well, if you're really going to go to the, to the end of that teaching, and if you're really going to go all the way with that, you've got to cut off everything else in the Bible except grace. So why even have a Bible? Just have a piece of paper and put the word grace on it. Right. That's all it is. He was, he was sharing some very interesting things about some of this teaching that now, because of the, the way this teaching is going, there are certain books of the Bible that these people are saying are not for us. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Hebrews, James. All the teachings of Jesus were not to us. Come on, man. It's very dangerous. It is very dangerous. Because a lot of the teachings are telling you too, as, as a believer, you never have to repent ever again. I guess poor old Jesus didn't know that when he told the church in the book of Revelation, repent, do the first works, or I'm going to come and remove your candlestick from its place. Poor old Jesus didn't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. You don't need to repent anymore. I, I did everything that needs to be. Guys, people are... What would you use if you were the devil to get people off? Something they really, really like. Hmm? In this scripture, the first admonition is contend for the faith. The second admonition is watch out for extreme grace teachings. Talk to Jude about it if you don't like it. We're warned strictly... Watch out about not holding on to the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Now guys, how many of you know, how many of you realize that Jesus could have just as easily said to the woman with the issue of blood, Daughter, my grace made you whole. He did not say that. He did not say that. I read a book not too long ago by a guy, if I mentioned his name, you'd all know who he was. I read in the book, right in the chapter, I'm reading. Great book, I'm getting blessed, you know, reading. I get to this one part, he said, well, Jesus said, you know, daughter, your faith made you whole. But, and this man said, but her faith is not what made her whole. I thought, and here I am, I'm reading this book, getting blessed. And I said, Lord, what did I just read? He said, you just read something that was a perversion of a, of a good truth. I thought, wait a minute, if Jesus wanted us to be thinking about grace, why did he say faith? Why did he say faith? He could have said, daughter, my grace made you whole. Why did he say her faith made her whole? Because it was her faith. Why did he say that? If he wanted us to focus on his part, he would have said, daughter, my, my grace made you whole. He didn't say that. Now you can look at other scriptures and, and put these things there and see that grace had a lot to do with her being healed, but he did not say, that's what I want you thinking about. Nope. I don't want you thinking about my grace right now. I want you thinking about her faith in my grace. That's right. I mean, he could have said that. The whole 11th chapter of Hebrews. Why does it say by faith, Abraham? By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch. Why did he say by grace? Is the writer stupid? It was the Holy Ghost that prompted Paul to write it that way. Why? Because the Lord wants us to realize there's something about faith that we need to get down and realize. I'm the kind of guy, I like them both. I love grace and I love faith. <laughs> Don't you? And I also love living right. And I also love working for the Lord. 
And I also love scriptures on obedience and repentance. I told you at the beginning that there's a lot of people today, actually I said it's very rare today, where people actually believe the whole Bible. I mean, there's some churches today, they're not going to preach about the blood of Jesus because it just freaks people out. Uh, actually, it saves people's lives. Yeah, but it'll freak them out. Oh, okay. So, uh, when they look up from hell and see you in heaven, and they go, why didn't you tell me about the blood? You're going to go, well, because it would have freaked you out. And they're going to be going, freak me out! I'm in hell! Right. Because you didn't tell me the truth. <laughs> oh, church, there's, there's pressure today for pastors and preachers to preach what people want to hear. Because if we don't, they're going to take their tithes and offerings and go somewhere else. Well, the problem with that is, if that's the way preachers and pastors feel, then God is not their source. The people are their source. And no man can make a good source. Bondage. It's absolute bondage. Now, read. Is that what verse were we on there, Helen? Go one more verse, please. Paul said, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord had... Now, check this out, guys. Check this out. He's saying, contend for the faith. Watch out about perversion of grace that says, hey, it's, it's okay. You know, no big deal. It's all taken care of. Then why would you go right into this? I will therefore put you in remembrance, Christian, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Yeah. What's he saying? He's saying, uh, you, those of you that think this is not for today, you know, you're under grace, you think that this is just a bunch of junk here, or all for the past, he said, you're wrong. I'm telling you, what happened then can happen today. Right. Under grace. Right. What happened then can happen today. Under grace. Why say this? Then he goes on to talk about all these other amazing things that, that had to happen. Judgment that came on Sodom and all these other things that happened. And he's saying, listen, I'm telling you this under grace. This stuff is still very important. Come on, read this. Read the next verse. I didn't tell you, but go, go to the next verse, Helen. The angels, he's still talking about people who are once with God and aren't anymore. Two believers saved by grace. He said, angels which kept not their first estate, but they left their own habitation, has God reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. Where are the fallen angels? In I said, where are the fallen angels? The third, the third of the stars that the Lucifer took with him. Where are they? They are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. He's saying, listen, there's judgment coming. Under grace. Amen. There's judgment coming. Next verse. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, why is Jude telling believers under grace these things? Because there were some believers crept in unaware telling them that, oh, you don't have to be concerned about any punishment or any judgment. You're saved by grace. Past, present, future sins are all taken care of. Little bit of truth to that. Thank God for the truth to that. But he's telling believers that were getting duped and doped into thinking, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to resist. You just, you know, hey, you know, whatever. It'll all be fine in the end. Uh, newsflash. It may not all be fine in the end. Right? right. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah. Why is he telling believers this? Because this is still important today. Right. Saved by grace. Washed in the blood. Still important today. Okay, I'll quiet down a little. <laughs> Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them. Look at, look at this church. Look. In like manner... These people giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. They're set forth for an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. Why are you telling this to believers saved by grace? Because it's still serious stuff. Right. Next verse. 
Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignity. Stop right there. He's back to talking about these people that have perverted grace. Defile the flesh. Despise dominion. How many of you can take a message like grace so far that where you say, I don't need to take orders from anybody. I don't need to submit to anybody. I'm saved by grace. Just totally loose. Free. Which is really bondage in this sense. Despise dominion and speak evil of authorities. If you see any of that going on, know the teaching might be right, partly, but the spirit is wrong. John said, try the spirits to see whether they're of God. He didn't say try the doctrine because a lot of times the doctrine is 90% right. Maybe it's even 99% right. You're not going to know if things are something you should swallow or not or be around or not just because of the doctrine. It may be 99.9% right. But if the spirit behind it has a, a, a looseness about it, a despising of dominion, a speaking evil of authorities, divisiveness, division, friend, I don't care how wonderful it sounds, how many scriptures are there, if the spirit's wrong, you need to stay away from it. Try the spirits to see whether they're of God. He didn't say try the doctrine. We're not smart enough to try the doctrine. We don't know it all. Neither do the people that we're, you know, being invited to be around. They don't know. We don't know. But you can try the spirits. You can know in your heart. I'm not hearing my great shepherd in this. I'm not hearing his tone. His sheep know his voice. And a stranger, it didn't say his sheep know the exact words. He says this sheep know his voice. They recognize his tone. Maybe the right words, wrong tone. Something's not right here. I don't maybe know all the doctrine, but there's, yeah, there's scripture, but the tone is not right. And you know that if you're his sheep. And it would do you well to take heed to that. And not let yourself get sucked into something where you know by the Spirit wasn't the Master. Next verse. Well, actually, go with me down to verse 17. But, beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, last days, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves. Hmm. What do you mean separate themselves? Remember the scripture we read how, you remember the scripture that said how Satan left his first habitation? Remember that? The devil is the author of leaving his post. Leaving your post, Right? It says here, these people separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but you, beloved, that's us, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Did you know your faith is considered most holy? The Lord gave it to you, but you're the steward of it. You're the one who develops it. You're the one who uses it. You're the one who releases it. In God's mind and in the spirit of God's mind, your faith is most holy. There's an attack on faith and there's an attack on repentance today. Recognize it and stay away from anything that tells you faith is not important or that repentance is not necessary. just to understand sometimes. What do you do with those scriptures in Revelation where Jesus told born again believers in local churches, repent. Right. Mm-hmm. Or else. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you say, well, that was for those guys in that day. 
one of these days you're going to run out of scriptures to discard. Man, I was thinking, man, if Jesus, if the words of Jesus were not for us, yeah. I can't even be born again because yeah. he said that in John chapter 3. And if that wasn't to me, whoo! Can, can you imagine? They, they, they discount the whole book of Hebrews. That was written to, to Hebrews and Jews. James wasn't written to us, you know, because it's still too strong and God wouldn't talk to people like us saved by grace. Oh, yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. Yeah. Twelve tribes scattered abroad. These were born-again believers that got saved by grace. <laughs> First and second and third John, don't you dare take that. You're not going to take that away from me. No. Are you kidding me? Well, Ian, if you just read it, you realize he's writing to born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep going. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some people, have compassion. That's what makes a difference. Next verse. Others, save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Mm-mm-mm. Now, before we close, go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll close with these thoughts here. 1 Timothy 1. I thought, you know, sometimes you think, oh, this is brand new, man. Wow, look at this stuff that's happening. You look in the scriptures, a lot of these things have happened multiple times over. They just resurface after a century or two or a millennia or two. They come back. I mean, it's the same devil. Right. Did you know the devil is still using the same temptations today he used 6,000 years ago? Did you know that? He's still using the same temptations. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Three temptations he used on Eve. The exact same three temptations he used on Jesus in the wilderness. And why, why change if it works? These three temptations work, so and the devil's really good at it. And so look here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Paul said, I charge unto you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on you, that you by these prophecies might war a good warfare. Now just stop right there. It's like a lot of people don't believe we didn't in no war. I mean, we're free. Then I guess you got to take this out of the Bible too and say, that's not for us. Timothy wasn't really saved. I'm wondering if even Paul was really saved. What's that called? That's called denying the only Lord that bought you because it's the Lord that anointed them to say these things. I mean, people think, I would never deny the Lord. I would never. If you're denying what the Lord said and told you, you're denying Him because He is the Word. I charge you to... Okay, next verse. Next verse. Hold on to faith. Now, why would you tell a man of God to hold on to faith? Because there was an attack against faith in those days, just like there's an attack against faith today. Hold on to faith. And a good conscience. What do you mean? Well, which some having put away concerning faith, they're now shipwreck. Next verse. Of whom is Hymenius... And Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This was serious to Paul. Getting off like these guys got off, leaving faith like they left faith was so serious. Paul said, I've got to do something or they're not going to make it in the end. Jump down to 2 Timothy, because this is talking about part, part of the same group of people. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, look at verse 16. 2 Timothy 2.16 Paul said, Shun, get away from profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Next verse. So back up, back up a second. Do you realize some things you're just supposed to get away from, not try to correct? Come on. Some things you're just supposed to get away from, not try to be a shining example to them. Sometimes, some things you've got to just get away from. For they'll increase to more ungodliness. Next verse. 
Next verse, please. And their word will eat like a cancer. That word's cancer for canker. Of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. Now notice. Who concerning the truth, these were people in church, they've erred. Now when I read that today, I felt like the Lord wanted me to release this into the atmosphere. Some people in our day have erred. And they need to admit it. There's some people, I've erred before. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I've erred a lot. But man, when I know I do, I'm, 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 there's some books I used to have out. I don't want out much anymore because there's some things in there that I, I want to correct. But it's like, if you've erred, you've erred. Right? Right? So they erred saying, now here's what these guys were saying. Hymenius and Philetus, they were saying, the resurrection's already happened. We're not going to be judged. The resurrection's already happened. We're not going to have to stand before the Lord for, for accountability or anything. The resurrection's already happened. Hey, it's, it's all done. It's all taken care of. There's nothing more that needs to happen. That's getting off. There is a resurrection. The resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the unjust, resurrection to stand before the Lord and see what rewards we're going to get, if any. There's a great white throne judgment. Think about it right there. If, if, if there is no more judgment, what about the great white throne judgment? That's coming up. I said, that's coming up after the dispensation of grace. Why would there be a great white throne judgment if everybody's okay? Everybody is not okay. And we got to let people know that so they don't kick back and cruise and coast into hell or coast into perdition or coast into no rewards when they get to heaven. Come on, if, if grace did everything, why would there be a great white throne judgment coming up and why would there be the judgment seat of Christ coming up? If grace took care of everything automatically, why those two judgments coming up? Why those two resurrections if, if everything's already taken care of? Do you ever think about that? <laughs> These people were preaching the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. These were teachings in their church 2,000 years ago that were off. So, is that the last verse? Go to the next verse. Verse 19. Nevertheless, Paul says, nevertheless, no matter what these guys are teaching, no matter what this stuff, the foundation of God stands sure. You ready, guys? You ready? Having this seal, the Lord knows those that are His, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See, he's contrasting what some were preaching, that, oh, it's all taken care of, past, present, and future. And Paul says, let me make this straight. If your name in the name of Christ, you need to get out of sin, depart from iniquity, because this is important under grace that you do. Faith in the last days. It's under attack. We already quoted the scripture, 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, crept in unaware, and doctrines of devils. Very important. Be on guard, church. Be aware. Everything that sounds good is not necessarily good. Everything that has scripture surrounding does not mean the Spirit's right. Test the Spirit's. Check it out with Jude. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up, church. I believe that's what I was supposed to say tonight, so I said it. Sometimes you have to say things you don't want to say if you're going to be faithful to the Lord. And sometimes you're not supposed to say things you're not supposed to say. Scriptures you're not supposed to go to. And to go to them would be unfaithfulness. I thought this was really cool. I realized this recently too. I was actually listening to some more Keith Moore teachings. on uh, Last night, a week of increase, he taught on faithfulness. and it's all, it's all entitled Stopping the Thief. But he said a lot of people have diligence mixed up with faithfulness. 
He said a lot of people are diligent to do things the way they want to do them, but they're not doing things the way their leaders and the Lord told them to do them. He said they could be 100% diligent and totally unfaithful at the same time if they're not simply doing what they were told to do. I mean, think about faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Well, it's doing what you're told to do. It's not doing what you think should be done. It's not doing what you're told to do your way. It's doing exactly what you were told to do. And diligence can't make up for it. Hard work can't make up for it. When it comes right down to it, faithfulness is doing exactly what you're told to do. And I believe I was told to do this tonight. So I did it. Amen. Amen. Praise God.